0: Okay, well, we're going to um, come to the penultimate message from our uh, series in Ephesians now. And uh, I just loved the message last week. I thought it was so helpful. And if you know the book of Ephesians, we're coming to almost a mini-series at the end, uh, where Morris began last week. And today I'll continue. And next week we're going to hear from Luke Howard about the battle that we are in as Christians, about what it means to live the Christian life and be aware of the battle. So we're going to be in Ephesians 6 and uh, verses 30, uh, 10 actually to 17 although we'll be focusing mostly on 13 to 17. Before we do that I just want to uh, recap a little bit uh, because what we're going to read about today is probably um, the sort of thing that you if you come to church throughout your life um, if, you, if you've been in church for a while you'll, you'll have awareness of the armor of God and it might be that if you've been in church since you were a child then you did the armor of God in kids work and you uh, you looked at uh, the different pieces of armor each week, and that's a great way to do it, a great way to look at it, different armor each week. We could have done a six-week series of six parts of the armor, and uh, we could have looked at it that way, um, and we could have made you all make your own shields and helmets and stuff like that. Um, but what I want us to see today is that this is a continuation of the letter. This isn't just set apart. This isn't just, uh, okay, now there's, remember the armor of God, because that was uh, you know, somewhere in one of the books, yeah, there's the armor of God. But no, no, this is a continuation of. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, everything that he's taught them so far, everything that he has brought to their attention is going to be questioned, is hated by the enemy. They have an enemy, and he wants to charge them. Be aware now, everything I've brought to your attention, everything I've taught you will be under attack. So take up and put on. Take up armor. Put it on. That's what this message is called today. Take up, put on. Let's look at verse 10. with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to welcome you to speak to our hearts this morning. We want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to equip us. We want to ask you to strengthen us, to put spiritual muscle in us, and help us to know how to use it. We want to be those who are able to stand strong. We want to be those who are able to know how to and what to stand for. We want to be those who know what it is to obey you and to find life in Christ. We want to be those who enjoy this new life that you've won for us, this relationship, and this amazing uh, identity and position that we have as in Christ. I pray you bless us. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, up until now, we've heard about... This new life in Christ, that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, that Christ has made us alive in himself, that he has died and come back to life so that we could find new life in him. We've heard that there is a church that God has has been planning for eternity. That he wants to have his own people, that his own society, that love one another well, that understand what it is to grow more Christ-like together, that stand and walk in the gifts of God. We've seen that. The Christian life is to be walked in, that in the, yes, in the household of God with one another, but also in the household of your home, with how you are in your marriage, how you are with parenting, and how, how children are towards their parents. In the workplace, we've seen that God uh, has a design for his people, that Paul has opened this up wonderfully, and as I said before, I've loved it. I think it's been so helpful, we've been purposeful as an eldership to take hold of uh, this opportunity as in the last year or so, so many of you have come to be with us uh, over that time. So we wanted to be clear about what the Bible says church is and what the Bible says this new life in Christ is so that we could be clear, what do we value? So that you would know who you were coming to and where we stood. We wanted that to be clear and I'm so grateful that I think this, this series has been helpful with that. And now as we come to the end, Paul is saying, finally, Finally, after all everything I've said, everything I've built, all this foundation I've been talking to you about, and everything that uh, we've taught, now be strong in the Lord. Finally, be strong. The Christian life, as we heard last week, is not like a battle. The Christian life is a battle. It is a war. It is that we would be challenged in lots of ways. There is an enemy. That's the first thing we'll look at this morning, is that we do have an enemy. It's important to really uh, get to grips with that. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have an enemy. The Bible is clear throughout, right from Genesis. Jesus was very serious about the enemy. And it's often quite easy for us to kind of uh, think it's a bit twee to still believe in an enemy, uh, to not take it seriously. And yet here, uh, and throughout the word, the Bible, God is very clear. Take it seriously. You have an enemy, the devil. And in the Greek, diabolos. It means slanderer. This is the identity of the enemy that we have. He is the one who brings false accusations. That's one of his main weapons. He wants to lie to us. He wants to bring false accusations. He slanders He slanders God's name. He slanders. Remember in the garden? That's one of the first things he did. Did God really say? He slanders God's character, God's word. He he wants to bring false accusations. He wants to undermine. He slanders Jesus' work on your behalf. So if you're a believer in this room and you sometimes feel wobbly in that area, the enemy would want you to feel very wobbly. He wants you to not be secured, standing strong and firm in Christ. He wants to take your eyes off Christ. He wants you to be focused on your behavior and on other things and other opportunities there rather than to be strong in your foundation. He slanders your identity in Christ. And Jesus was clear the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. There is an enemy. He comes to steal what is yours, what is rightfully yours in Christ Jesus. He wants to steal away your place, your confidence your strength in Christ. He wants to take away your peace. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your hope. And he comes to kill. He comes to kill the life that Christ has given you, the, Christ, the, the life that Christ has won for you. Satan wants to kill it. And he wants to destroy the fruit that you're called to bear. He wants to bring general destruction to your life. He does not want you fulfilled, and he doesn't want you fruitful and he's strategic. He plans. It says he has schemes. He's not just chaotic. He does have schemes to bring chaos, but he tempts us in particular ways that will be uh, uh, particularly tempting for us, That we will, where we will be particularly weak. He tempts us to fall back into our former ways of walking in the flesh. He is the one we battle with. Notice how Paul has suffered so much physically. You know that Paul who is writing this and saying, we don't, battle against flesh and blood, this is a man who has been shipwrecked, a man who has been uh, stoned a number of times, who has been beaten and flogged, a man who has been, uh, uh, um, what else has he been? (laughs) He's been imprisoned. He's actually in prison. He has uh, even been bitten by a viper at one point. All these physical things that have happened to him, and yet he knows his battle is ultimately a spiritual one. Do you know that? Do you know that your battle is ultimately a spiritual one? You might be prone, especially in the age that we're in, to deny the spiritual enemy at work against you and just cling to psychological explanations. You could categorize things as mental or as medical only, and yet we see a man here who had all sorts going on, but he knew the root problem, the battle I will face because even if you do have uh, mental and, uh, and uh, medical issues and things like this that are so painful and so difficult and struggle so much, the spiritual questions that will be asked of you by Satan are the things that will tear you apart. The spiritual questions that he will ask, where's God? Has he forgotten you? You think if God loved you, he'd let this happen to you? Is he trustworthy? See, Paul has said, I know that my battle is not against flesh and blood, but is is a spiritual battle to hold, to take up, to put on, to be strong. If we deny what the Bible says here, we're not dressed for battle. If we think, no, 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 my issue is outside of this realm, outside of what this Paul is saying here, then we're just not dressed for battle. We walk through life, getting smashed from side to side in desperate problems, And yet we're not ready to say, I need to actually put some armor on. Because Satan is asking questions of me here that I haven't got answers for. And sometimes we might say, but wait a second, aren't we called to rest in his grace? Ephesians 1, this same letter, he's just talked at the the first chapter about being sealed in Christ. If I'm sealed in him, if I'm safe in him, if he is my salvation and my rock, what's the battle? Well, yeah, we are called to rest. We talked about that. We're called to sit. We're called to understand our uh, position in Christ. And yet we're called to walk as well and fight in his grace. We're called to rest in his grace and we're called to fight in his grace. We're called to fight for his grace. We're, We're called to stand in his grace. Fight not for it to achieve it or to earn it, but to hold on to it. That we wouldn't let go of his grace. In fact, Morris. Uh, mentioned something last week which he actually wanted to bring a little correction to. Um, He mentioned last week that God's love is not unconditional. And as he thought about it, and people questioned afterwards, they just came and just wanted to say, could you clarify that? He thought about it, he thought, no, it's not quite that, actually. It's not strictly true. God's love is unconditional. But his grace is conditional. His grace is received only by those who put their trust in Jesus. His grace is, you know, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weak and weary, I'll give you rest. What? There's no condition. I just get rest. Yeah, there's one condition. Come. Come to me. And so he just wanted to clarify that, that the condition is to come, but God's love is unconditional. It is for anyone. God's desire for us is to be strong, is to stand prevailing against an onslaught of the schemes of the devil. Everything that Paul has spoken of through Ephesians chapter 1 to 5, uh, it, it will be questioned. It will be attacked. So it's, as I said, it's not just separate. Oh, by the way, there's this great analogy I've got about putting armor on. No, it's, it's, it's everything I've taught you. Everything that we've built up, everything, all these foundations that I've set for you, they will all be attacked. But people, The devil hates your identity in Christ. He hates the unity of the church. He hates the church. He hates that you might grow in maturity. He hates that you might speak in love and truth to one another. He, spe- he hates that there would be uh, uh, wives submitting to husbands and husbands laying their life down for wives. He hates these things. He wants to undermine them at any opportunity. He hates that children might obey their parents. These things will all be questioned. And you will come under these questions. I don't really like that. And it might have surprised you week, one or two of the weeks. You might have thought, I don't really like that. It shouldn't surprise us because satan is speaking all the time into the culture because he hates this book and he's coming against it so we want to be those who understand this is this is after he has set this foundation now 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 prepare yourself dress for battle the battle is to stand the battle is to hold on to jesus to hold to the grace of god the battle is to bear fruit by abiding in christ is to withstand the evil and in this confused and dark day to stand. So last week we looked at being able to stand and what we stand on. Today we're going to look further into that as we look at the six articles that makes up this armor of God. And notice that the phrases that Paul uses, take up, take up, put on. There is something of action required. There is action needed. Something must be put into practice. Paul is preparing Christians for a reality. A response will be needed when the war rages, when the battle rages. Do you have a response that you're prepared with? Do you have something that you're holding on to? You say, I already know where I'm going to go when these questions come to me. I just love this morning in the prayer meeting before the service, a few people, uh, it's interesting, a few people just came seeing, saying they felt groggy, they felt, they felt tired, they felt weary. And what we spent the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of our prayer meeting doing was declaring the truth of who we are, where we stand in Christ. And by the end of it, we were standing. We were built up. We were strong in Christ. There will be a battle. He says, take up, put on. Singing songs is taking up and putting on. Let's look more at this. The many, because many Christians are shocked taken by surprise at the schemes of the devil because they're ill-prepared, perhaps lazy perhaps not really ready to take seriously this notion of a battle, some even falling away from Christ altogether. People can struggle unnecessarily for years and not actually put into practice the things they say they hold to in theory. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the trial. Was it James? Don't be surprised at the trial that will come. This is what the Christian life is. There will be trials. So we can't, can't be caught sleeping at the wheel. We must be prepared. Secondly, we must be prepared. There's a call to be intentional, deliberate, purposeful with the way that we stand in Christ. We want to be mindful, deliberate, purposeful, watchful, prepared. There are many other options to us. I just want to talk about a few of them, a few of the things that prevent us from being prepared. One of them is that we are convicted in theory. Yeah, we hold to these convictions in theory. Paul has taught us these wonderful things, this powerful theology. This letter has opened up truth. It's explained God's plans from eternity past. It clarifies the gospel, the identity of the true believer. It teaches the church. It it teaches about the people of God, the bride of Christ, these incredible things. And you may have sat there week after week nodding in agreement. You may have even amened uh, passionately, but Paul is clear, action is needed. There is a necessity to put on the teaching and be clothed in it. It's easy to amen and to nod along and think, yeah, this is great. But when the questions come, have I put it on? Have I believed it? Have I stood in it? We don't want to just believe in theory. Secondly, there's, this is a far cry from a stoic stiff upper lip where we just carry on. We, we just persevere. We just think, I'll do what's right. I'm supposed to be a Christian, so I'll just carry on and I won't ask questions and I'll just go on and meanwhile maybe getting hit from the left and the right, spiritually just feeling tireder and tireder. but we just carry on, we just carry on. And all the time, my grip on Christ gets looser. I'm not actually holding on to the anchor. I'm not actually holding on to the one that gets me through. I'm just carrying on. And eventually, you might think, I used to remember why I was in this. I used to remember why I was withstanding. But now I'm just tired. So the call is not just to be determined to get things right. The call is not to just pretend that everything is okay. Pretending won't get you far because you'll get to the point where you just can't pretend anymore. Blow after blow hits you. And at some point, one blow is too many and you fall because your perseverance wasn't actually rooted in what Paul says it must be rooted in. We're called not to just carry on because I am a Christian. I forgot what that means, but I'm a Christian, so I just carry on. No, I've got to hold to him. I've got to hold to Christ with uh, this armor on. Another option is that we just despair, just despair and panic. So many people struggle with fear. That is there because they don't know how to answer it. They don't know how to answer fear. They don't know how to fight it back. Fight, fight back. Paul's saying, don't despair. Don't be gripped by fear. Don't turn and run into panic or into hiding. I, I have this. I'm a procrastinator at times. I just, think, I just pretend it's not happening. I'm just, uh, I, just think, I, just, I don't know what to do right now. and, and, and I'm despairing. I'm, I'm fearful. And as I was preparing, I, was, I remember the time when I was probably 12, 13 years old and was on an airplane, and uh, many of you have had this experience, this go through turbulence, and uh, I was scared because it was a heavy turbulence. And um, I just I remember young young teenager having a conversation with myself. I remember saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he reigns over all. I believe that whether I live or die, I'm in Christ. I didn't say to myself, snap out of it, Tim, stop being silly. It's just a bit of turbulence. I actually answered the fear, no, I believe that if I die, I'll be with Christ. Nothing could be better than that. I genuinely could tell you in a moment the fear went. I just thought, whatever happens now, I'm okay. Whatever happens, I'm not just telling myself, stop being silly, stop being silly. No, I'm in Christ. I couldn't be any more secure. There are answers to despair and panicking. Another uh, um, thing that can prevent us from being prepared is that we can just be passive, just mindless drifting. But an action is required. A preparation is required to, to put your shoes on, to stand strong, to be ready for battle. We can't just be mindless. Focus is needed. Have you ever had to snap someone out of daydreaming? because they're just not focusing? And if there's any teachers in the room, I'm sure you have. A Christian without focus on what is central and true will drift in ways that they never thought they would. You ever been to the beach? Sat on a lilo or something in the water? You end up three beaches over. Like, how did I get here? I never thought I would have been over there. No, you need an anchor. You need, to, you need to stay rooted. If you're not rooted, you just drift. And, and, and sadly, there are Christians who have who've walked into things they never thought they would because they just weren't rooted. They weren't anchored. They, they didn't put their... Uh, armor on, passively, mindlessly drifting. It's not drift. Another thing is that we can have mindless acceptance. We can be defeatist. We can think that there's no hope. Have you seen the world, Tim? Have you seen what's going on in the news? <clears throat> I think that we've lost already. I think that there's no hope. We're in such a broken world. Even just what's happened on, you know, in my neighbourhood, we can be defeated and just think there's no hope. What's the point in putting the armor on? No, listen, listen. God has called you to Christ. God has called you in Christ to a life not of despair or hopelessness. That is the opposite of what we have been given. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. Got to hold to something or say, Oh, that helps me. If I know he's faithful, if I know that there's hope, we're going to win. Oh, I'm going to get dressed for this. I'm going to be ready for this. 1 Thessalonians says this We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't give up hope, He's won the victory. We stand in his resurrection. Don't give up hope. Have you seen how many times in the, in the Old Testament that, that, that God's people win as minnows against giants? Don't give up hope. They win because they hope in him. They trust in him. They have faith in him. So, so Joshua goes against, around the walls of Jericho, chanting and singing. You think, you lunatic. What are you doing? You loser. It's embarrassing. God's called me to do this. I trust him. My hope is in him. And the walls of a city fall down. You know, the obvious one, David and Goliath. He's standing, this 16-year-old or whatever he was, teenager, before this giant that everyone else is terrified of. And he's standing rooted in his God, who he knows. He, we profess, he who promised is faithful. And David stands. And David is victorious. He cuts off the giant's head. You know the story of Gideon and his 300 men against 35,000. Stood. did. I have my hope in the right place. Victorious. So there are many occasions in the word where it looks like people are defeated and yet they remember who is behind them, who is with them. You must stand with hope. What can prevent us being prepared? One or two more. Just waiting in unbelief, just holding back, hedging our bets. I'm not going to be totally in yet. I'm not going to totally commit my faith to God. I'm not going to totally trust him. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. I'm just going to watch, get a lie of the land, see what's going on. But, but putting on armor before a battle, you have to be decisive. You're going to go. We're in the battle. You can't wait. You can't, you can't wait and see what's going on. We, we are in a battle. We've got to trust that God's, what God's calling us to here, there is an enemy. Sometimes we don't protect our convictions at all. we just fluffy with them. We're almost purposefully limp with them just in case a more convenient option comes along. I'm not sure I'm really going to put both feet in here because what if there's a better offer? But the action to take up and put on is decisive. It doesn't entertain unbelief. And finally, what about that thing where we, we just we, what we said earlier, where we just think, I thought that nothing was required of me. I'm a Christian. It's a free gift. God's grace is free. Nothing's required of me. Well, that's clearly not the case here, is it? To hold on to the grace of God, to stand in it, something is required of you. To be active, to to, to call truth to mind. And we'll go through these bits of armor in a moment. Call it antinomianism or licentiousness or maybe even super spirituality, but some Christians fall into misunderstanding that grace means no action is required. Or maybe Maybe it's that you hate losing the battles, you hate sinning, but, and you want to stop particular sins, but you think, unless God moves my heart and God motivates me and sort of does it for me, I can't win. It's like you kind of, you kind of spiritualize your passivity. God's gonna, God, I'll defeat that thing when God kind of moves me to defeat it, even though you hate it and you want to kill it, and God's calling you to be decisive, to be decisive in putting on so in his grace and to take hold of his grace we take up we put on take up put on So, let's have a little look at the armor in the lists as we do i want you to see this this as i said we could look at it in sunday school we could go through we could really overanalyze. why a shield for faith why a breastplate for righteousness And that's fine. I don't want to undermine the word of God. They are a particular thing for a particular thing. But there's another place where Paul says, take up the breastplate of faith and love. So so this is just an illustration. Because what is most important here is that we understand our strength is in Christ. These are all different aspects of putting on Christ. Of putting on his victory and standing in his victory. That's what Paul's been talking about throughout his letter so far. In Christ, he's won the vi- we've won the victory. We've been placed into him. Death has been defeated. There is a righteousness. There's a the gospel. There's peace. There's faith to stand in in Christ. We've got to hold on to. I don't want to just hold, I don't want to take you through a Sunday school lesson where we, we look at the nice different pieces of clothing and you think, oh yeah, I remember all the clothing. No, you've got to remember it's Christ. You've got to remember we stand on him, how desperately we need Christ. And first of all, we look at the belt of truth and how desperately we need truth. As we looked at last week, intuition, emotion is king, isn't it? Intuition, if it feels right, it's probably right. If I want to, I should be able to. How desperately we need truth. We need to be fastened in the belt of truth. And if you look at the phrasing, he says in the, for the first three pieces of clothing, he says, having fastened the belt of truth. Having fastened. So what I've taken you through, what I've taught you, Ephesians, is that what I've taught you is that you are wrapped in truth. We've, as I've taught you, we've gone through, we've put a belt on of truth. You've fastened that truth as you have put your faith in Jesus. Now stand in it. Now walk in it. Having fastened the belt of truth. People say they make their own truth or their truth is different to others. But truth is not subjective. That's a nonsense to say, I've got my truth, you've got your truth. It doesn't make any sense. Truth is objective. It is either true or it is not true. And Jesus calls us to stand in the truth. Remember, Paul is speaking to believers here, particularly about the truth of Christ. The, the truth, or the most important truth central to our lives is that what Christ has done. And who he is. Christians, those who have been convinced of their need for a savior and run to Jesus as their savior and king, they stand in Jesus, who said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. In John 8, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And Paul said in Ephesians already in the first chapter, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We must hold to the truth. There will be so many other options. And Paul is saying, we've got to remember, I fastened you with this teaching. I fastened you with truth. Stand fastened in the truth. Stand strong in the truth. Because the other option here is this. He says in 2 Thessalonians, he's talking about a group of people. He says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They don't want to refuse to love the truth. We live in a day where people hate the truth. They refuse to love the truth. We want to be those who love the truth. He is the truth. He is the way. What else can we love in place of truth? We can love comfort. We can love preference or just ease. It's easier to just go with whatever takes my fancy than stand on something that is true. Whatever is fashionable in the culture, whatever the prevailing pressures are. Sometimes it's even things that seem virtuous and seem fair. There's so much that is said now, so much pressure that is put on phrases and words. You must believe this. You're not allowed to believe that. You're not allowed to say that. And sometimes we get sucked in and we think, yeah, that's right. I want to stand for something right, good, and virtuous. And we come to phrases that don't even make sense. Love is love. Doesn't make sense. It's like saying pig is pig. What, What does it mean? You cannot define something with the word. It just unravels. It descends into nonsense. Okay, we've got to stand on truth. Otherwise, we get pulled into things that, it sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, it should be. It should be whatever we want it to be. No. Love is what God calls it to be. He created it. Perhaps it's intuition. Perhaps it seems to make sense to us. And we just think, yeah, that sounds good. It sounds right. We've got to remember, Satan wants to undermine this truth all the time. It's going to sound good. What Satan said to Adam and Eve, it sounded good. That's why they fell for it. He loves half-truths. He loves to talk half-truths to us. The people of God need to hold to the truth and secure themselves in it. A belt secures the rest of your clothing in place. A belt keeps everything else in place. You need to hold on to the truth to keep everything else in place. And remember the truth, as Paul said in Ephesians 4, is in Jesus. He's called us to speak it to one another. Speak the truth in love to help build up one another. So we're going to be those who speak it to one another, knowing I need truth spoken to me because I will be tempted all the time to believe all sorts of things. I'll be pressured to believe all sorts of things. I'll be pressured not to believe this. I need my brothers and sisters to speak the truth to me in love. And he says in 4.25, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We are members of one another. Our enemy, remember, is a deceiver. And he says, Jesus says, he is the father of lies. You want to be very wary of what we put our trust and belief in. Revelation 12, he goes on to say that he is the deceiver of the whole world. So Paul says, in in coming to Christ, you have fastened yourself and fastened yourself with the truth. Be determined to remain in it. Let it be the foundation for what you accept and what you reject as your beliefs. What does this mean? belief say about God? If something comes to you, that's a good question to ask. What does this belief say about God? Is it what he says about himself? If it's not, I need to reject it. What does this belief say about me? If it's not what he says about me, I need to reject it. What is this? Does it line up with the truth of Jesus? If it's not, I must reject it. The enemy wants to, uh, to speak lies to you that will undermine your security in Christ. And going to reject those things. We come on to the breastplate of righteousness. And righteousness is this gift that we have been given in Christ Jesus, the righteous one, the perfect one, the one who who never faltered, never wavered, utterly uh, resplendent in majesty, righteousness, never, nothing. No no, uh, accusation could be brought against him. And he gave that to us. The word of God is clear that in Jesus we've been given righteousness. We've been given his imputed righteousness to us. And again, this phrase, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. In in receiving Christ, you have put on. You have already put on this breastplate of righteousness. Now, walk in it. Now, stand in it. Now, live as those who are in Christ. John says that uh, in one of his letters that we know who is a child of God by those who act in righteousness. There's a righteousness given to us and a righteousness that we're called to practice and to walk in. So what does this mean? It means that we, we forgive. It means that we encourage. It means that we walk humbly, that we prefer others, that we grow into Christlikeness. To be more like him is to be righteous. This is a matter of war. We can think this means becoming a goody two-shoes or, or, or becoming boring or just being nice, but it's a matter of war. Let me explain that to you. It's about dying and rising with Christ and being a new creation. Paul says in chapter 4, be angry. Remember, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Now listen, and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. He's looking for opportunities all the time. Oh, good, there's something that hurt them. I can really screw that in. I can really make them bitter. I can really tease them about that. I can make them go over it in their mind again and again until they are just torn up within. No, I don't want to give any opportunity to the devil. I want to forgive quickly and move on. I want to move out of the, the, the realm of being outwitted by Satan. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. He wants us totally torn up with bitterness, with unforgiveness. Take up your armor. Put it on. Remember your union with the righteous one. Practice as an act of war. It's devastating and it's unnecessary when years and decades of life can be lost to bitterness. Unforgiveness. Maybe you know people like this. Maybe you know that's you. Maybe it was in growing up and your household and your parents were just not good with you. Maybe you were abused. Maybe there was nasty things that have happened in relationships, but you just know it took root, and I've never been able to walk free from it. This this is something that God is saying in Christ. There's victory. That we it is possible to walk free from. Otherwise, we we're being outwitted. Satan wants to take hold of whatever he can to ruin any fruits that you could bear, to to take away your peace, to take away your joy. Remember, our battle was not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. I saw this great uh, um, uh, little clip a few years ago of a Japanese game show where they um, they blindfolded two guys and uh, gave them pillows, and they had to have a pillow fight blindfolded. It was quite funny to watch. But what they didn't know... Was that there was somebody in the middle with a pillow with no blindfold on? So they were just going around, not knowing what they were doing, you know, just. And there's one in the middle just going whack, whack. And I didn't see it at the time, but one of my friends said to me, That's a great picture of spiritual warfare. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but there is one hitting us from all angles. And we can think, She said this, he did this and we can get so caught up in I'm getting hit by them without realizing he's in the middle loving it. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers, and we need, to, we need to learn to put righteousness on to frustrate Satan. We walk in righteousness. We walk free from the lies about your right to hold a grudge, you deserving a proper apology, your need for someone to make amends. Say No, 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 I've got the righteousness of Christ on I'm a new creation. That's dealt with. And sometimes there's there's victory and peace for us to walk into as we recognize. I need to let that go. I need to know that. Either God will deal with that in this life or he dealt with it at the cross. I need to let that go. Next we've got what we call the shoes. But it doesn't actually say that in the original. It says feet fitted, ready with the gospel of peace. Feet fitted, ready with the gospel of peace. In Ephesians 2, we see this passage, uh, this this paragraph where Paul talks, and peace is what Jesus has brought us. Four times he talks about it, this beautiful little paragraph. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were once far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus came to bring peace. His story, his news is news of peace. It was all far from okay. It was all far from okay. It was a wall of hostility. Paul says in chapter 2 that we were children of wrath. Our inheritance from Adam, our father, was God's wrath and anger. That was what we were destined to inherit. We had no rights to draw from. We couldn't say, but what about this? But what about that? No, I'm born into this. I am a slave of this sin. He didn't owe us anything. There was hostility, enmity between God and man. Every man, every woman was turning away from God. And now, verse 13, we just read, in Christ Jesus, we have new life, a new inheritance. Sin, shame, guilt, and death dealt with for eternity. Righteousness given and peace restored. A gospel of peace. A gospel of a sigh of relief. A gospel of. I can breathe easy. He's pleased with me because of Christ. Now what he's saying here, are you ready with that? Are you ready with that news? Is it on the tip of your tongue? That's our story. Are you ready to herald it? Has it faded or have you forgotten the power of it? Or is it fresh to you? Do you keep it fresh? This gospel is incredible. I'm ready with it. It's always near me. I I move with it. I'm 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 on the move with the gospel. Is it fresh to you? Being ready means it's on your mind. It's on my mind. It's on the tip of my tongue. So we live in a state of thankfulness. If you're ready, wearing shoes of the gospel of peace, you live in a state of thankfulness. I'm so grateful for this peace that I have with God, that he loves me, he's welcomed me, and I'm his. He's mine. You know, after the Second World War, there's a story when the announcement came out on the radio in the war, that the war was over in central London. A woman just did what was natural to her. She just went out in the streets and celebrated. She just went out and um, she just started cheering. And do you know what? It was a catalyst. People joined because it was clearly just the right thing to do. And soon the whole of London was overcome. The war is over. Peace has come. And she ran and she celebrated. And there was there was a, a, a celebration. As is it on your tongue that the war is over? Is it on your heart that peace has come, that God, who was the offended party, put Himself low so that you could be raised high? Peace has been offered. I believe that as this is talking about standing in the battle, as this is talking mostly to Christians, it's talking to us about the battle. This probably means that we should be ready to share with brothers and sisters. It probably means that in our battle, are you ready to share the gospel with each other? In your life group, when your friend says, hey, I'm really struggling this week, are you ready to say, well, the gospel gives us hope. The gospel gives us a a great thing to, to cast our hope upon. Jesus died for you that you would live again. There's power in that. He's poured out his Holy Spirit. Are you quick to bring the gospel of peace? When your friends might say, I just don't know if God's even here, if he's even with me, if he even cares. Are you quick to speak the gospel? Does he care? went to the cross for you. He laid his life down for you and to ourselves because Satan is quick to undermine the gospel to us and we want to be those who are good at, it's on the tip of my tongue. Good try, Satan, but I know it is finished. I know it is dealt with. I know I sinned yesterday, but I also know I have a great savior. I know that he has taken my sin. I cast it on him. Are you quick to speak it to yourself? Our hope is the extended hand of God towards us, not our impressive resume for him. Be ready. Have the good news, the grace of God on your mind. Be ready to build others up. The shield of faith is a, is, is a shield that the Romans had that, that would be the size of a door. You might see a little round ones sometimes. The size of a door. They had this huge, huge Roman Shields to stand behind. And it says that, that, that with this shield of faith, we can uh, uh, block the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, we talked about what the enemy is. He's is the accuser. He is the father of lies. These darts that he would send to us would be lies, accusations, slander, claims that could be believed. Could be believed easily by you, unless you are holding a shield that says, no, I believe in something already. I've already got my belief. I stand. I believe. I trust what God has said. I hold up my beliefs. The fiery darts are lies, and faith asks the question: Who will you believe? Who do you trust in this moment? That's what faith asks of us in that moment. Who am I going to be? Okay, I've already got this. I already know who I stand in. Accusations can come, but I'm believing in Jesus. Faith is about being convinced enough to believe without seeing. You know, Abraham is called the father of faith in the Bible. He believed God and obeyed in faith, even though he never saw the promise completely fulfilled. It wasn't about that. I believe God. Trust God. It's not, I believe if it's going to be good enough for me, and if I get what I want, and if X, Y, and Z. No, I, I trust him. I believe he's called the father of faith. We learn about him and his faith throughout the world. We're going to learn next series. We're doing a series in Hebrews 11, all about faith, what it is to stand, what it is to be convinced of what God has done and said and to walk in it. Faith needs to be held up in claims like we've heard this term. Faith needs to be there when, 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 when we have the question, you shouldn't need to honor your employer if you don't think they deserve it. No, no, faith, I stand in faith. I've got an answer for that. I know that I want to honor God For first. You don't need to honor your parents. You need to figure things out for yourself. No, 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 I stand in faith of what God has said. I've got an answer for that. You, your kids need to find God on their own for it to be authentic. That might be a, a, an accusation or, or a te- thing we're tempted to believe. No, 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 I stand in faith. It's helped me God's called me to bring my children up in the faith. Or what about she'll get away with that if you forgive her? Or you need euphoric experiences to truly be satisfied. You need to be popular. You need to be never challenged. No, 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 that's not the word of God at all. I stand on something else. Or even you aren't good enough for God. You've pushed it too far. God is angry with you. You need to prove yourself good enough. No, I stand. I already have my shield up. I stand in faith of what he has already said. Faith is about choosing what you put your hopes in. Choosing what to believe and what to refuse and acting accordingly. When I was a young teenager, I was already told you this. I remember this turbulence. I remember just thinking, no, I stand. I, I, I'm okay in Jesus here. I know what I have put my belief in. But, but you're in danger. No, no, no. I'm strong. If this is true, if it is true that Jesus rules over all things, that my life is in, is in his hands, if I am in him, if my life is either him or to be with him, then I am okay. If that is true, my life is hid with Christ and it gave me peace. Helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. We've got the helmet. It it would probably be the last thing to put on before going into battle. You've got everything wrapped around. You've got yourself sorted. Right, we're going to go to get our helmets on. Let's go. Now, it says in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Have been saved. Your salvation is secure. Put it on. Be secure in your salvation. Let it be a source of fearlessness for you. I'm not going to go into battle with arrows and whatever coming past me and feel fearless if I'm not wearing my helmet. They had huge helmets then that they actually had to put sponges in, apparently, because they were so heavy it would have hurt them to wear it without a sponge in it. They were almost impenetrable. Now we've got to go into battle feeling secure that. The enemy is not going to mess with my mindset, not going to mess with my head. Your future is secure. Let, that, let the salvation of God be in your mindset. My future is secure. There's no judgment waiting for me. Christ was judged in my place. So when I lead or, or, or when I pray, when I lead a prayer meeting, or when I pray, I nearly always begin with prayers and songs that proclaim, I'm alive with Christ I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I'm reconciled with Jesus, I'm seated with Jesus. I don't want the enemy getting in my head. I don't want the enemy whispering silly things about my salvation. Are you sure you deserve to be here? Are you sure you should be uh, speaking to God? Hadn't you better do X, Y, and Z before you start? No, I'm wearing my helmet of salvation. I'm saved. I'm in him. I'm in Christ. You can't get to me. I want to remember my standing place and my identity and courageously stand in it. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit As we heard last week, and I'd love to encourage you, if you didn't hear the message last week, please do. All of these depend on holding the word of God. We hear in the word of God about this hope of salvation. We hear in the word about the promises of God to hold up in faith. We hear in the word about the centrality, the word of God, the spine that goes through it is the gospel of Jesus. It tells us what is right and righteous in the word of God, and it is the truth. And as we heard last week, it is the only weapon of offence in the list. It is the only weapon that we're called to wield and to and to attack with ourselves. The armour of God. This is God's armour. We we hear in uh, in, in Isaiah that, that God that some of these things revealed, um, alluded to in Isaiah. This is probably where Paul got most of his description for because it's in there that he wore this breastplate. You know, God, the God, the warrior who wears this breastplate of righteousness. It's in Isaiah. This is the armour of God that Jesus. Used himself. It's vital that when we get to know the Word of God, it's vital that we get to know the Word of God that we can effect, then we can effectively read it and become skilled with it. You wouldn't go into battle with a, a, a weapon and not be trained in it. You wouldn't go into battle and just kind of flail around. Oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. Just, ugh, just chuck it at you. Probably end up hurting myself or someone else. No. When you have a battle weapon, you're going to be trained in it. And we see this in Jesus. Jesus was taken out to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And Jesus' response to each temptation was, it is written. He was a man of the word. He was a man who studied and got into the word. And he was able to say, God's word says, it is written. I can answer back. I can attack with, it is written. So we cling to him. We cling to Jesus. We cling to his word. We cling to his righteousness, what he has won for us, his gospel, his truth. We cling to Jesus. And knowing him and loving him and trusting him, causes us to be able to stand. There is a real enemy. We can't be naive about that. If the band want to just come, there's a real enemy. We don't want to be naive. We take up and put on everything that is yours in Christ. I encourage you, make it your habit. Make it your habit to get your thought life. Is this in conjunction with what Christ has done? Is this true? Is this thing I'm tempted to believe, tempted to fight for, tempted to uh, uh, act out? Is it in line with what Christ has done for me, won for me? Make it your habit to think through this. Uh, Think think this way. Find friends that do it with you. You know the, the, the Roman shield, you know this thing they used to do I think it was called the turtle where they would put all the shields together they'd stand close together and it was impenetrable on the, on the front but also do it down the sides and they would do it on the top and i read this week that it was so strong that you could walk over the top of it and they could even get uh, horses and carts to go over the top that's how strong it was as they stood together now he's saying hold your faith like a shield and we do that together we're going to be even stronger I call you to find others to do it with you. Next week, we're going to look at how we bring the host of heaven into battle with us as we look at prayer more. But this is for us. How do we stand? Let's just uh, pray. Father, Father, we just want to ask you for your help in this. Lord, we just know that life comes at us, and we know that that is not just about psychology. It's not just about uh, our frail bodies but the enemy is at work. The enemy wants to undermine. The enemy wants to lie. And I just pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit's encouragement to help us to stand in truth. God, to hold up faith, to put a helmet on to know, I am saved. I am his. I'm in him. Lord, to put this breastplate on of righteousness to say, hey, you can't touch me, Satan righteous in Christ. I want to walk in righteousness. I want to serve in righteousness. I want to live in righteousness. Pray, help us to wield this sword, to, to know it, to be skilled with it. I do pray, Lord, that as a church, more and more, that we would be strong. We would know how to stand. That's your desire for us. Bless us in that in Jesus.